0: This is the Commission Church Online. Welcome to our podcast. We want to be a church who brings heaven on earth through the Word of God and the love of Christ. I pray this week's message blesses you. Now we're in a new sermon series. We started this off last week. It's titled "Rated R," and uh, simply we're going through uh, Sunday school stories. For those of you who grew up in church, you know what Sunday school is. You finish school Monday through Friday, and then you come to uh, to to church on Sunday, and you go through school again. And we learn about God's word and stories from the Word of God. And there are so many stories in the Word of God and in the Bible that we learn uh, when we are younger, and as we learn it more and more, and as we uh, as we begin to understand them, as we grow. Uh, in, into adulthood, uh, things quite, you know, quite don't sound the same. Uh, we are used to a PG version of certain Sunday school stories, and uh, understandably, those uh, impressions of what we got about those stories gradually change as our walks with Christ uh, begin to grow deeper and deeper in Christ. In fact, last Sunday, we began this series uh, by talking about Samson. And after the service, I had so many people in person as well as reach out to me by message and say, Pastor, thank you for sharing about the life of Samson in a whole different and a new way uh, that we've never seen before, and, and that's the goal of this series, is trying to see if we can get people into understanding about uh, these stories that are told in the Bible that are real, that are raw, that are rated R, and uh, many of us don't really venture out and learn those stories in its depth and its entirety because we're so used to the PG version of these stories. Uh, My dad would always say this. He would say that there are two ways in which you can learn a lesson. Uh, The first way is you can learn it through pain uh, and you you, you can learn it through life experiences. And the second way is that you can learn it through wisdom. Uh, The first way, he would always say, is the painful way. It's the more, uh, you know, the way that you struggle and you learn about life lessons and uh, you learn about things in life. And the second one is the more better way, the better way of living uh, your life, and that is through wisdom. The Bible very clearly gives us boundaries in our Christian walk. Uh, There are different boundaries that God created in marriages, in singleness. And as we sit here today, we have a wide variety of an age group of people. We have millennials, Gen Zs, it doesn't matter what category you fall in. It's amazing to see a wide variety of age groups seated right here. There are people that go, they're in college, there are people in high school, there are people in your mid twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, going into your sixties or seventies. It doesn't matter what what category you belong to or what age group you belong to. God always in his word gives us boundaries. Someone say boundaries. Boundaries. There are so many lives, there are so many marriages, careers, futures that are ruined because we don't respect the boundaries that God gives us and draws out in his word, the Bible. Uh, We're going to watch a man today. Uh, with so many promises, so many promises, make a big mistake, and we're going to watch his downfall and his disintegration as not just a king, but also a human being. Like we did last Sunday, what we're going to do very unconventionally is we're not going to have the whole passage of Scripture on the screen because I was encouraging you last week to bring your Bibles. How many of you brought your Bibles? Let me see your Bibles. All right, how many of you have your Bibles on your phone? Let me see your hands. Good stuff. All of y'all who have paper Bibles, all right, I'm going to give you a special high-five after service. It's so good to be, to be able to underline and take notes and things like that. But whatever form you're following, I'm urging you to open your Bibles this morning, just like we did last week. And we're going to read the entire passage like we did last week. And then I'm going to get into the message, all right? Now, we're going to talk about this man called David. Now, I want to give you just a backdrop of what we're talking about today. We're going to be very raw. We're going to be very candid. We're going to be very open when we have some conversations this morning. Is that okay? Are you guys ready for this? All right. Now, I was doing some research, and these are statistical studies that have shown over the, over the last few years of uh, you know, people that are doing theses and, and different other uh, you know, programs and, and doctoral studies that come up with findings for their theses uh, that, that, that study relationships, uh, majority of them psychologists and so on and so forth. But there was a study that was conducted not too long ago, and it, it basically came up with this conclusion. It's said, before finding a man of her dreams, a woman will experience 15 kisses with a man, two long-term relationships, heartbreak two times, seven dates, two blind dates, and two dates with someone from the internet, that's the new thing, four disaster dates, being stood up once, one live-in relationship, four one-night stands, and seven sexual partners. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Yeah. Staggering, right? Staggering. Men's statistics. <laughs> that's as raw as raw can be. That's, that's great emotion right there. Thank you. Men's statistics are a little different. The average guy has 10 sexual partners, six one-night stands, and gets stood up twice. But the point of the study is that most of us go through so much before finding a relationship that is right. And I know what many of y'all are thinking, you're like, well, I'm not too bad, <laughs> right? You're probably thinking, oh, I haven't done too bad for myself, and some of you are like, oh, that's me, you know, and when we went through that list. And that's, you know, uh, a lot of single people, and uh, what about the married people? In marriage, here are the numbers, 15% of women and 25% of men have extramarital affairs, while in a marriage. Now, those numbers increase when you bring in emotional affairs and emotional relationships uh, that does not involve intercourse. It it increases that number by 10%. So women go up to 25% and men go up to 35%. Today, we're gonna talk about this man called David from the Bible that God gave boundaries to and he reminded himself of boundaries throughout his life. But here was a young man that God picked out to become the next king of this land called Israel. I don't have time to go into his entire uh, backdrop and his study. If you, go, if you go back home, there's numerous studies done on David and you could probably get an understanding of this man. Here is a man who comes into kingship. God has appointed him as king. God has given him this mantle to be king. Now today what I want to talk about is, I want to talk about ungodly relationships, alright? So those of you who are unmarried and sitting over here, I'm going to tell you how you can end up with the wrong person when you follow ungodly relationships, And I'm going to talk to the married person sitting over here who is committed to your wife or who is probably not committed to your wife. And I can talk to you about the the, the very danger of how you and I, as regular human beings that are faithfully married, men and women, can end up in an affair in a moment of passion. In 2 Samuel chapter number 11, we're introduced to this man who is about to make one of the most dangerous mistakes in his life. So read with me, track along with me as we read this passage in its entirety. In the spring of the year, the time, Second Samuel chapter number 11. So we're going to the Old Testament. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait for you real quick as you turn there. Second Samuel chapter number 11. And we're starting with verse number one. If you don't have a pen with you, we have a bunch of pens back there. If you want to lift your hand, Alex could probably bring you one. Uh, if you're an, a person that underlines or highlights, go ahead and underline as we talk because these are things that we would be coming back to. All right, Second Samuel, chapter number eleven, and and just like as a warning, here at Commission we do expository teaching. We go through the Word, we break down passages, and that's what we're about to do. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him, Joab was one of his mighty men, his generals, so to speak, and he sent him uh, with his servants and all of Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. The Bible is very clear it's wartime. David sends his emissary, he sends his warriors, he sends his armies, but David is sitting back and relaxing. In Jerusalem, verse two. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house. When he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman, and one uh, and one said, "Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite?" So I want to pause there real quick. So it's not common to introduce uh, somebody as, uh, in the Bible, if, if you're introducing a man or a woman, it wasn't really common to introduce somebody as so-and-so's wife, uh, so-and-so's uh, wife as well as so-and-so's daughter. It was either or. But here it's critical to note that David knew both of them. David knew his father who was a warrior in his army and David knew that his, her husband was one of his elite soldiers under Joab. All right, they want her now. They basically, uh, his, 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 his guys that are around him look at him and say, hey dude, you know this person. You know who this person is. Don't act naive over here. All right, so important. Accountability. We talked about accountability last week. Be surrounded by people that can hold you accountable and that can remind you of the boundaries that you have in your life. But David chooses to breach all boundaries. Verse number four. So David sent messengers and took her. Someone underline the word Took her. Someone say, took her. And she came to him and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. And verse number four continues, then she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, verse five, you just see the spiraling events that happened. And the woman conceived and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. She sends a message to David saying, I am pregnant. Verse six. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. So here is is David getting ready for damage control. How many of y'all know what this means, right? I mess up. I know I messed up. Now what do I do? I am just gonna cover up the mess. We're so used to that. We learned it as kids. Right? What do we do? Our, our, our little daughter was eating candy the other day. She had a stack of candy, and uh, we didn't even know about it, okay? Now, that we were cleaning, or I was searching for my AirPods, and the thing my AirPods fell down and, under her bed, and, and I went to reach out for it, and I saw a bunch of these wrappers <laughs> under her bed, and I'm like, <laughs> what is going on over here? It looked like Halloween just happened under the, you know, and, and I was like, I, I called her to the room and I was like, Michaela, what is this? Like, what's going on? This is your room. This is your, she she's like, I ate candy. And I was like, Are, really? <laughs> tell me something new, right? I mean, but but, you know, it was amazing how she was trying to cover up because she knows what's happened before is she would eat candy put it in the trash can in the bathroom. And when we went to the bathroom, we saw the candy wrappers and we're like, who ate candy? It wasn't Sonia, it wasn't I, so it had to be Michaela. So she knew to not throw it in plain sight, so she tried to... Come on, anybody, any parents been there before? Right, you know what I'm talking about. So what do we do? We try to clean up our own messes and David is about to do damage control. So what does he do? He looks at Joab, his trusted uh, his, you know, confidant, and says, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. No questions asked. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how people were doing and how the war was going. Little talk, small talk. How's everything going? Like nothing ever happened. This is so remarkable because the conscience somehow disappears. The fear of God somehow is lifted and you go about acting normal. This is not from God, all right? So he goes on, he says, how are you doing? And David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept on the door of the king's house with all of the servants of the Lord and did not go to his house, all right? Verse 10, when they told David, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, have you not come from a journey? Why do you not go down to your house? Verse 11, Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah dwell in boots and my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are camping in an open field. Shall I then go to my wife to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and your soul lives, I will not do this thing. He's so committed. Verse 12, and David says to Uriah, remain here today also and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day And the next day, then David invited him and ate in his presence and drank so that he made him drunk. And in the evening, he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of the Lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it out by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest battle of uh, of hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. And as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men. And the men of the city came out, fought with Joab, and some of the servants of David among all the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. Then Joab sent and told David all the news about the fighting. And he instructed the messenger, when you have finished telling all the news about all the fighting to the king, then if the king's anger rises, and if he says to you, why did you go so near to the city to fight? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, the son of uh, Bashef? Uh, did not a woman cast... An an upper milestone on him from the wall, so that he died in Tebez? Why did you go near the wall? Then you will say, Your servant Uriah, the Hittite, is dead also. How how the leadership is, is how the followers will be. If there's deceit in leadership, come on, somebody, are you understanding what I'm saying? I need to go on. We're going to come to the message. So the messenger went and came and told David and all that Joab had sent him to tell. Verse number 23, the messenger said to David, the men gained an advantage over us and came out against us in the field. But we drove them back to the entrance of the gate. When the archer shouted your servant from the wall, some of the king's servants are dead and their servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. David said to his messenger, thus shall you say to Joab, do not let this matter displease you for the sword devours now one and one and now another. Strengthen your attack against the city, overthrow it, and encourage him. He is not the least disgusted about the trickling effect of sin. Verse 26, when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, listen to this, David sent and brought her to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord chapter number 12 let's go on I know you thought we were done but we're not and the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, when he had, which he had brought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children it used to eat of his morsel and drink from this cup and lie in his arms and it was like a daughter to him now there came a traveler to the rich man and he was unwilling to take his one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man and he said to Nathan as the Lord lives the man who has done this deserves to die and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. It's crazy how you're easy to pass judgment on somebody else. Verse 7 Nathan said to David, You are that man. And I want to remind some people sitting over here we are David. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, I gave you our master's house and your your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and Judah, I gave you all these things and if this was too little, I would have added you so much more, why have you despised the word of the Lord and do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with a sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. Wow, look at this. Because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up against you evil in your own house. I will take your wives before your eyes, give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun, for you did it secretly. But I will do this, thing, I will do this thing before all of Israel and before the sun, David said to Nathan I have sinned against the Lord and Nathan said to David the Lord has put away your sin you shall not die it's confusing to me and we'll talk about this in a second but in verse number uh, 15, and Nathan went to his house and the Lord afflicted the child of Uriah's wife, bore to David and became sick. He dies, right? The Bible says that he dies and the elders of the house stood beside him to raise him from the ground and he would not, he would not eat and drink. He was mourning. Uh, on, on the 18th, uh, in verse 18, on the seventh day, the child dies, like I said, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. Now, as you go on in the passage, you see how he mourns and, and, and David, or, or after the, the period of mourning, David rises up, in verse number 20. In verse 21, then his servant said to him, what is the thing that you have done? You fast and wept for this child while he was alive. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. He said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept for, I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he's dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. I want to give you six points. I may not finish today, but we'll get started. Okay, close your eyes with me. Father, would you speak to us through this word? Give me the ability to break this down in the next 20 minutes and I pray, God, that you will give us the ability to be able to learn something today about ungodly relationships. We give you praise, we give you glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Point number one, I want you to write this down. Anyone, anybody can fall into an ungodly relationship. It's important to guard your heart It's so important for us to guard our hearts. Here is a man with so much promise. I'm talking to some of us today, the promises that God has given you, the blessings that God has given you. Some of us carry so much of promise, yet we get carried away by these promises and we take them for granted. You know, in Second Samuel chapter number 7, the Bible says this in verse number 8. Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Listen to this blessing. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over all my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone. I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great like the names of all the greatest men on earth. Now, that's a short passage of the blessing that God gives him in chapter number seven, okay? And David understood the assignment because in verse number 18, he says, the King David went in and sat before the Lord and says, Lord, who am I? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? Here's a man that was blessed. Here's a man that is anointed. Here's a man that has a calling on his life. Here's a man that has skills and talents. Here's a skilled musician that can bring people to tears and break through people's hearts. Come on, can I talk to somebody today? Here's a man that is promoted at work. Here's a man that people envy because of the giftings that he has. And yet, come on, even he recognizes and says, Lord, why me? What did I do to deserve this? Church, you got to understand this. Anybody can fall prey to the victim of the enemy when it comes to guarding the heart. It's so important to guard your heart. In 2 Samuel chapter number 7, he establishes family as a dynasty. And in chapter number 7 to chapter number 9, there's this highlight reel of victories that God gives this man. He defeats the Philistines. He defeats the Moabites and the Edomites. And it goes on and on. He's this model king. And we're about to watch a man with so many promises make this big mistake and watch a downfall. I want to make a statement this morning here. He was gifted, he was talented, and he was a leader. But it didn't mean that he was perfect and all those things would have automatically guarded his heart. Remember, your giftings don't guard your heart. Your talents don't guard your heart. Your job security does not guard your heart. Your beautiful wife does not guard your heart. Come on, somebody. I have seen men with the most beautiful women that commit adultery. I have seen women that have everything, that have everything in a marriage. They have kids, they have an ideal husband, but it's just the desire to know more than they know. Mm. And then we come to this passage in 2 Samuel chapter number 11. In the spring of the year, it says, man, uh, just, just when all the battles were done, it, it's, it's this new season. Point number two I want to leave with you is this. A complacent heart is a distracted heart. We talked about complacency last week. But a heart that is complacent is a distracted heart. Because if you don't keep your heart busy, your heart is going to find stuff to do. Okay? I'm going to talk to somebody, somebody. It was the spring of the year. In the spring, the winter had just passed. The roads had become clear. The rainy season was gone. It was harvest time. So the battles, when people would go to battles, they would glean off the, the, the farms and the, you know, the, the pastures of the people and they would have food, so on and so on. So on. And, and, and the wartime has come and the Ammonites had come and he sends Joab, they, they ravage Ammon. The battle goes well, he pushes them out and David, the Bible says, remains in Jerusalem. He sends his army out and he sits on the couch. Come on somebody, This is this, everything begins to crumble at this one point when he decided to sit on his couch. Remember what happens when you fail to put on the armor that God has entrusted you with. There's a reason you're king. There's a reason you're the father of your family. There's a reason you're the husband. There's a reason you've been given that that authority and you've been given that responsibility. Do not abandon post when the wartime beckons you to go out into war. This is so important. So many men and women lose their calling and lose their tracks because they get distracted in a moment of passion. Don't find yourself in too much time of leisure that leads you into dumb decisions, church. Because here's the thing, distraction is a killer of dreams, it's a killer of visions, it's a killer of goals. All sins start small. All sins start in the way that it started for David. For many of us, violations of personal values begin with neglecting productive activity, all right? And David is in the wrong place at the wrong time. David has sent soldiers to do his bidding and that has isolated him and kept him away from doing productive work. If you don't find a productive pursuit, the enemy will always send you a destructive one. I'm going to repeat that. If you do not find a productive pursuit, the enemy will send you a destructive one. And David finds himself in a position, and as we continue reading this passage, the king has been in bed for a long time. When kings, are, when kings don't usually sleep in, this king is sleeping in. Come on, kings that are sitting here, queens that are sitting here, that God has entrusted you with amazing responsibilities. You don't get to sleep in. Come on, look at somebody and say, don't sleep in. Kings rise up early. What do you do with your time? Everyone knows this the most productive men and women in America rise up early as Basant he'll tell you. He wakes up at what time Basant? 4:30. God bless your soul. <laughs> he wakes up early. I'm telling you this it's it's so important. What do you do with your time? You can always find a distraction if you're looking for one. If your heart is always in the search of a distraction, I'm, trust me when I tell you this, you will find one. He should have been up at war. He should have been up fighting with his army men, but he is being distracted. Who is distracting you? What is distracting you? All right, I'm gonna tell you something. If you starve your distractions, you'll feed your focus. There's so many people that will fail to starve your distractions. You welcome those distractions. You're okay with feeding those distractions. It can be Netflix that takes, you're like, I'm just gonna watch it for 30 minutes. You know how that ends up. You know what YouTube does to you. Come on, somebody. You may like this video too. This is related to what you just watched. Oh, it's just gonna be two more minutes. David's on the roof and he sees this woman bathing. And the Bible says he sends to inquire of this woman. Be a good steward of your curiosity. See, curiosity is great. God gives us curiosity, but it's so important to be good stewards of our curiosity. Curiosity either kills or curiosity invents. You choose to do what you want with your curiosity. Curiosity. Like I said, curiosity is a good thing, but the devil could use it for your destruction. Use curiosity to your advantage. Some of us need to learn a new skill. That's something that I do every year. In addition to saying, I'm gonna read these many books, I resort to learning one new skill every single year. Every year, okay? It's something that I resolve to because I'm like, man, I just wanna keep learning. It could be anything. It could be a, a skill. It could be a talent. This year, you know, I, I was telling somebody just the other day on Wednesday, evening prayer, uh, we wanted to build a, an app for the church and, uh, you know, to just centralize all things, communication, so on and so forth. And we were getting quotes from different places. And this one guy, uh, a bunch of guys sent us quotes. And the lowest quote was $6,000. And I said, no. <laughs> I said, we're going to use that money to reach souls. Are you talking? About? And then I went online and, and they had a course for $15. And I said, I'm going to sign up for that course. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm going to sign up for that course and I'm going to learn how to develop an app. Come on, somebody. Hopefully, you all going to see an app by the end of this year. All right, let's go. But here's the thing. Keep yourself, learn, learn a new language. I don't know. I'm just bored. Netflix is all I got. No, learn something new. Pick up an instrument, learn something new. Come on, somebody. It's, it's so important to learn when you are bored out of your mind. Single people, we live in times where it's easy to hop around looking for love. But it's mislabeled. It's actually sensual pleasure. If, you're, if you need something to do, learn something. Another person is not gonna fill in that void. Right. Yeah. I need y'all to understand this. David was infatuated by what he saw. Remember what you see and what you allow your mind and your eyes to be exposed to is what can change the trajectory of your life. And David is about to experience that. Don't be swayed or commit to what you see. Young people listening to me, this is important. The only thing that God was not happy in creation, God created this, he said, this is good. He created this, he said, it's good. This is good, this is good, this is good. What was the only thing that he said wasn't good? For man to be alone. It's normal that you want to be you want to be loved it's it's normal that you want to love other people it's it's very normal god wired us to love but for for if you look at adam there was only one woman that adam loved one woman so many options today we have online dating options we have apps where you can swipe right or swipe left or keep swiping i don't know what the options are but there are so many options and so many you know People, whatever you want. If you're looking for a tall guy, you get a tall guy. If you want a short guy, you get a short guy. If you want a, you know, slim gal, you get a slim gal. If you want a brunette, you get a brunette. If you want a, you know what I'm saying? Like, you can narrow down your searches to what exactly you're looking for. Adam had nothing to compare his wife to. It was, here you go, this is Eve. See, some people get so tired of trying to find someone and they go on these dating apps. There's no more fish in the sea is what they say. They're all online. So, so what they do is they try to cast their net on the net. Come on, that was good. Jesus, make me a fisher of men. I got it good today. All right, I'm on a good roll today. See, when Adam looked at Eve, that was a standard. He looked at Eve and said, this is good. This is all I need. This was his, all these visuals can give you the sense of I can get anything I want. See, that's the problem with us today. That was the problem with David, with where he was. Being a king, he could just get anything he wanted. We're in places where we can get anything at the snap of a finger at the click of a button a swiping here and there we can get exactly what we want to feed our sensual pleasures The world is constantly telling me that what the standard for beauty is but I'm, I'm telling some people today, God will bring a person in your life and that person will become your standard for your beauty. Stop comparing you know, your life to other lives. Stop comparing your wife to other wives. Your wife should be the standard of what God wants to do in your life. Don't compromise. It's natural, like I said, for human beings to uh, have sexual desires and God created sex and it shouldn't be a taboo to speak about in church. Like so many of us probably grew up and we're like, oh, we don't talk about that. Some of you are probably gonna get out of here and you're like, oh man, that was probably crude. But here's my my thing. If we don't teach our kids and our teens and our young adults about sex from the pulpit, we leave it to the talk shows and Reddit and Hollywood and social media influencers and high school hallway conversations to tell them what the meaning of sex is. So So call it crude all you want. God has given me a task this morning to tell and remind somebody that healthy sexual desires are only to be enjoyed in the confines of marriage and is only from God but pastor you might lose people in your church Here's the door for me, I have to be answerable in the day of judgment when God says, hey, Ashish, did you use I'm like, yes, Lord, I preached your word unfiltered. And today, young people, this might not be a message that might tickle your ears. It's just not young people for every age group. It might not be, but I'm here to tell you this. You can ruin your life by having a soul tie with the wrong person. I had a friend that I grew up in school with. We went to, we went to college and uh, we, were, we were engaged in the same studies. We did some studies in apologetics together. I saw his fervor and his passion for God and for defending the, the, the Christian faith and debating the skeptic. And I'm like, man, this guy has got a calling on his life. There was this other girl that went to the same classes we did, uh, you know, had the same passions we did, and both of them just hit it off. And he loved the passion inside of her for apologetics. He said, you know what? This is probably the person I'm going to end up marrying. I love what she does. I love her passion. I love what she has going on for her. He was drawn to her passion and she was drawn to his passion. His interest was not in her. It was in the religion that she followed, in the passion that she had. See, people like that become blinded. What happened? He lost interest in that. He lost interest in the things of God. He lost interest in apologetics. He quit all of that. He walked away to start a business. And guess what? He dragged this woman that had a calling on her life along with her out of the church, out of ministry, out of the things of God. I need us to understand this. The Bible is very, very clear about being equally yoked with the person that you are with. Please. It's so important. They went through a terrible divorce eight years later and, went, and, and, and she actually went back to finishing her Bible college because she felt like that was what God was, had always called her to do. Don't marry a person because of a feeling, church. Don't. It's the most dangerous thing to do because a lot of us are just hitchhiking. Single people, we're, we're, if, if you were ever single before, you know what, we're, what I'm talking about. We're like hitchhikers. You know, it's, even hitchhikers, they know where they're going. It's so important for you, even though you're that hitchhiker, not knowing where you're, you, you just don't hitchhike. Like I would hitchhike back in India when I was in school, I would, I would need rides and I'm like, and I would get rides, right? And, and but, but when they ask me, hey, where are you going? I wouldn't be like, oh, I don't know. Just take me wherever. <laughs> That's, like, like, does anybody do that? That's not normal, right? Like normal is, hey, I'm going that direction. Take me there. Problem is so many of us trying to hitchhike in relationships, not really knowing where we're going in life. It's important to understand if you're infatuated or 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 if you're if you're just infatuated or if you're actually in love with somebody. Before you get into a relationship, ask yourself what your goal in life is. Ask yourself where you're going. Why did God put me on earth? Do you know your purpose? If you have two hitchhikers that are aimlessly heading nowhere, guess what? Chances are they they'll get together because they have one thing in common. They're not going anywhere. We'll figure it out together. Years later, you become bitter because you realize that that's not what you wanted in life. You realize that your direction is different from the direction that God is calling you in. You can't get married because he's cute or she's cute. Or she's wife material or he's husband material. That's not good enough reason to hook up, church. Cute don't pay the bills. Cute don't stay faithful in hard times. Someone say, preach pastor. Cute doesn't change the light bulb at home. (laughs) Cute doesn't say, let's pray together. Oh, I'm talking today. Cute doesn't say, let's ask God for wisdom in this matter. Cute isn't the same as fidelity. Cute isn't the same as honesty. Cute isn't the same as I'm in it for the long run. Ask questions before you commit. Get to know somebody thoroughly. David is an example of how not to date a woman. David wants everything he sees. He swipes right on every profile. He double clicks some all in pictures on Instagram. He slides into every woman's DMs and forcefully takes what he wants. That's what the culture teaches us. Take what you want. Take what you want. You know who else wants everything they see? Little kids. And Kroger and Walmart. Daddy, I'm, I'm taking this. I'm like, what? You're what? With what money? You're not taking anything. Daddy, can I have this? No. I think you like this, Daddy. <laughs> that's, what, that's her new tactic. I think this is really nice. You're going to enjoy this, Dad. And I looked at her one day and I said, I think I am. She's like, can I have one too? <laughs> Like, what do you allow your eyes to see? What do you allow yourself to fall to? Like, do you know that Coca-Cola actually pays department stores and and supermarkets to, to, to be at the impulse buying section at your grocery store? They pay them big bucks because they want you to be drawn to it because you're not naturally going to be drawn to it. Like my question is this, what information have you sold to the enemy about you that he boldly advertises his seductions on the impulse buying rack of your life? I'm, I'm, I'm going to be very raw here. How many of you know of things in your life that the enemy knows to bargain with you about? That he knows that if he waves it right in front of your eyes, come on somebody. It could be while watching a TV show. It could be while having a conversation with people. It would be in a, in a crowd of people. It could be in church. But what does he know about your heart that if he dangles in front of your eyes, he knows that you will impulse by it? Am I talking to somebody today? I gotta continue this message another day, but um, or next Sunday, not another day, but... But here's what I'm asking you, or I'm challenging you. Some of us are not ready to date, single people. Some of y'all are married and you're sitting here and you're like, well, I'm past that stage. Give me something and I'll give you something next week. But here's the thing, some of us are not ready to date and I mean this very respectfully, okay? I I don't mean this from a very, oh, I'm a married guy. You're a married guy, what do you know about me dating? I, I don't mean it like that and I want you to see my heart behind this. It's not because I'm saying you're physically unable to date. I'm not saying you're, you're, you don't have what it takes to date or you don't have what it takes to procreate. I'm not saying that you don't have it, what it takes to have sexual intimacy with somebody else, but I'm just saying that you're not ready to date. If you don't know what you're put on earth for, you should have no business dating anybody. I'm just being honest here, church. I know so many young men who have no clue what, they, what their major is going to be in college, but they're in love with somebody. No idea. What do you want to do in love? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> We'll see. Don't drag somebody else into that. Don't. I'm not saying that you can't. I'm just saying that you're not matured enough. I know 19-year-olds that got married and they were mature to get married. Now, I don't want you to take age, all right, as a representation of me saying you're not ready to get married. That's not what this is about. And I know 35-year-olds that are absolutely not ready for marriage. You see them and you're like, bro, what? You, did you watch Nickelodeon today? Like, like seriously. Can I give you one more point and then we'll close? All right, and then I'll give you three more next week, all right? Worship team, y'all can get ready to come up. Um, Here's my third point. Stop while you're ahead. Stop when you can. Like, don't be... You know how some of us are on the freeway and like we're, we're speeding, we're trying to get, get through. There's a truck in front of you and there's a car in front of you and you want to get through and you're like, oh, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it and you're right in front of the truck and you're not going to make it and then you have to do that embarrassing slowdown and then you're like, I hope no one saw that. I thought it was just me. <laughs> Laughing means y'all do it too. Thank you, Jesus. Write this down. While my sin has many fruits... It has only one root. While sin has many fruits and it displays itself in many ways, it can always go back to one root. And guess what that root is? It's this, a heart that craves something more than God. It's a heart that craves something more than God. You know what temptation and sin gives you? It gives you a false sense of entitlement. see an ancient king uh, in an ancient kingdom here's what a king could do right a king could kill anyone who disobeyed him we're looking at a woman who had absolutely no rights okay it's safe to assume that she felt obligated to obey now i want you to track with me it was common for kings to take whomever they wished married or not and chances are that she would not have resisted she would not have begged she would not have said no because she simply couldn't. And she would just have had to comply. We don't know. We only know that David could do whatever he wanted to do, even though it was a clear violation of God's law. So the Bible says he sent messengers and took her. That's what the Bible says. David blatantly abused his authority as king. Shepherds of God's flock to indulge his own desires. And Bathsheba had probably little to nothing to say in the matter. You know, many, this is my, this is the sad thing, Dr. Curse, is many theologians of the past have actually said that the blame is hers. She was a seductress. She was power hungry. She was seductive. She was opportunistic. You know, the crazy thing is art objectifies Bathsheba. I don't want to go through the different art pieces that have in history. You could go read about this. But every piece of art that you would see that is known to portray Bathsheba portrays her as a seductress, not as a victim. America is flirting with this exact same thing today, church. The church is flirting with this exact Same thing. I want you to track with me. Why? Women should dress modestly. Boys will always be boys. Come on. Women shouldn't have been there in the first place. You shouldn't be there out there that late. It's your fault. The writing is plain on the wall. David abuses his power to get Bathsheba in bed. There's this cultural and historical context of this patriarchal culture where men get whatever they want, they sway their swords, they they brandish their weapons and say, we are powerful, we are what we are, and nothing can supersede that. And David's history with other women, and I haven't even gotten there, proves that. Why mention her at all? Why even mention this story? And, And this is probably what you're wondering because the David that you hear about is what? The David that's cool, the David, there's this young boy, this underdog, this warrior, this guy that goes and the PG version. Someone say PG version. Goliath gets slayed and he, oh man, this guy that everyone's, that's the David that you know about. But God isn't sitting back and promoting and condoning the kings and political figures. He's bringing to light the minor characters that were taken advantage of. The ones who had no names, who can't speak, who were suppressed, the ones who mourn. Those are the ones that my God cares about. And in this Bible, he does not hold back from bringing these stories in saying they matter. He doesn't. Can I ask you a question? Why the PG version? Why is it so hard to ask what David did? Why is it so hard to ask if what David David did was rapacious in nature or not? Like why is it that hard to call rape, rape? God doesn't hide from it. He says, it happened, but I will protect the voiceless. You're about to see how the story unravels and no matter how many promises you have on your head, we're going to see grace eventually happen. You'll see that. But God does not stand aside and say, okay, and second the motion. Can you stand up to your feet with me? Can we be honest? Like, I love David. I do. I, I really love David. What's not there to love about him? This This young man who was excluded, that was ignored, that wasn't even showed initially. The underdog, the shepherd, who cares, right? The psalmist, the boy who encourages us to face our giants. This anointed harpist. But the matter of fact is that he rapes a woman. Why have I forever tended to overlook David and ignore the pain? of Bathsheba. Can I answer that question in just a second? In in, in just a sentence? The system made it possible for David to take advantage of Bathsheba and that system even exists today. Hmm. Can Can I phrase it? It's called king culture. It's called king culture. Kings will take, 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 Samuel warned them about it. If you remember, Samuel, when they said, Give us a king, give us a king. What did Samuel say? He warned them. He said, This is what's gonna happen if you want a king. Am I I talking to somebody? He warned them about it. Because power gets to the head. He said, Guys, I I don't know if you know what you're asking for. David sees, David takes. King culture. King culture takes. Kings have power to take. Hmm. Remember that it was just not the king, but the women and men that that enabled the king culture. King culture isn't nurtured by kings themselves, but by the people that want the kings in the first place. What kind of system builds people and, and, and adorns them and puts them in places of authority and, and, and gives them places of, of authority that no one can speak into their lives, that there is no accountability, that there is no person that can say, hey, you did this or not. It's called king culture. And sadly, you see churches crumble today because of king culture. You see leaders fall, politicians fall. You see kings, uh, nations fall today because of king culture. You see families fall apart, abuses happening because of. And God does not (laughs) for a second stand by and condone it because he's like there's only one king. There's only one king. See, We all sin and we aid in covering it up sometimes, man. It's called institutional sin. Sweep it under the rug. Let's cover it up like nobody saw it. It happens in families. Husband's sin and wives sin. Let's let's not discuss about this. Let's not talk about this. Let's say sorry and let's move on. Happens in the church. If something happens, let's protect the church. Let's protect the institution. Let's protect because we got to protect what's ours. We got to protect the institution. Where did it start? The sin of taking, it didn't start that day. It started in the Garden of Eden. Am I talking to somebody like like the, the same Hebrew word, that's why I told you to underline the word take, the same Hebrew word that's used for take, over there is the same word that is used when Eve took the fruit, same word. But what does she do? She takes it and covers herself with fig leaves. See, in culture, king culture teaches us that. It's okay to take it as long as you can just cover yourself. You take it for granted because you know that you can cover yourself. You take it for granted because you know that God can cover you and and grace covers everything. See, but I'm here to tell you, we do not follow king culture. We follow kingdom culture, which says, be holy for I am holy. That's the culture we follow. He silenced Bathsheba, but you know what the crazy thing is? He doesn't even say her name. That's king culture. Does not even mention her name till later on. Woman, the woman, send her to me, this, this. It even comes to a point where Bathsheba cannot even say anything. I don't know if she was threatened. I don't know what happened. But she sends a secret message to him saying, I have the consequence of your sin in my belly. Not only did you sin, but you passed on that sin. Here's the biggest lie of the enemy. If you sin, you're in it by yourself. It's your business. Don't judge me because this is my life. No, 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 no. Biggest lie because here's the thing. Every sin has a trickling effect. And next week, you're about to learn that. How it affects not just him, but the woman he impregnates. Mm-hmm. It affects the people around him, his leader, everybody. Mm. I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to ask us today, what do we need to take from these first three points? All right, will finish the last three next week. But what can we take from this message today that says, you know what? I am not going to stand by and say, okay, to King culture. Women, single women that are listening to me, do not, do not accept a man who is rooted in king culture. Please. Men that see yourself leaning towards king culture, repent, come back, and ask God for forgiveness. Women, if you see a man pushing you and violating your boundaries, if he cannot wait for you, come on somebody. He is... He's not someone wait, worth waiting for. And next week, we're just going to unravel this. We're going to open this up. It's going to be a great study, y'all. I don't want y'all to miss this. But as we spend some time in prayer, I'm going to ask the worship team to lead us in prayer and worship. We're going to have prayer at the back. If anybody needs prayer, our, worship, our team is going to. The prayer team is going to be at the back praying. I'm going to be back there serving communion for anybody that wants to partake in communion, if you miss communion, or if you just want to take communion, it doesn't matter if you took communion on communion Sunday and you want to take communion again, we're back there uh, with with communion for you guys. So I'm going to ask the worship team to lead us in a time of worship, but I want you to take this time to reflect in your hearts. Reflect in your hearts. These, These three points is all I want you to reflect. Am I a victim of Kim culture? Am I a victimizer? There's repentance involved in these equations because God is serious about this church. God is very, very serious about this. Do you have a distracted heart? So many of us are so distracted and God's like, I need you to come back. And God is bringing us back. And as the worship team leads us in a time of worship, ask God, God, do I need to guard my heart today? Knowing that you can fall tomorrow no matter who you are. Thank you for listening. We love bringing you the word on so many different platforms. We are so thankful for what God is doing in and through us. We'd love for you to subscribe so you don't miss out. And don't forget to share this message if it has blessed you.